Testing, testing, testing. Blah, 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 blah. Ready, set, go. It's time for the Coach Amy and Coach Liz Show. A podcast for endurance athletes by two athletes, two coaches, and a physical therapist. We are your hosts, Coach Amy and Coach Liz. Coming to you from Kansas, Kansas City. City. Thank you for joining us again. What are we talking about today, Liz? We are talking about hydration um, and the impact it has on endurance performance. Everything from muscle cramps, GI issues, um, nausea, weakness, fatigue, overheating. It really can affect a lot of things. Yeah. So, for example, patients come into the clinic and they'll be complaining of issues with cramping in their hamstrings or their calves. And sometimes it has nothing to do with a musculoskeletal injury, but actually it can be something as simple as hydration and their hydration habits. And other factors, of course, can play a role, including nutrition, but we're not going to talk about fueling today. We're going to talk just about hydration. So let's back up and explain what we mean by hydration. Yeah, so hydration is the act of taking in fluids, and it includes both water and electrolytes. Yeah, we need need both of those. So humans are like... I like to use this example. We're like a Ziploc baggie of chemicals. We, We are a biochemical soup, which is mostly water, but it's also electrolytes like sodium, potassium, and magnesium. And that vocabulary can bog you down, but it's not important. Just know that electrolytes impact our ability to absorb and use water. It has a huge impact on our performance and endurance sport. Yeah, you know, that was something that was a hard lesson for me as an athlete. And I see a lot of athletes thinking of electrolytes as sort of an afterthought, but they really are just as important as the water. So yeah, I didn't start properly hydrating until I was training for triathlon. I'd been running for years before that, and I was hydrating, you know, with electrolytes, but the way in which I was doing it wasn't as effective as it could be. And once I started taking in fluids correctly, when I was training for triathlon, and you really helped me with that, Liz, I realized that I felt so much better. I had, you know, less bonking and less fatigue, even when I was training for trail marathon after training for triathlon, it was those skills that I learned about how to effectively take in that hydration that really helped. And that's a good segue into the benefits of hydration, why we should hydrate. Ah, yes, let's present our case. So I usually tell my athletes there are three things that the water and electrolytes are doing. Um, They are involved in helping with muscle function, with cooling, and then with digestion and gut function. And we need to take in enough hydration to cover those needs. Yes, so let's talk about how hydrating improves performance. And the way it can do so is that hydration affects our neuromuscular system. So like our nerves communicating with our muscles and telling it what to do. And we have to have a balance of water and electrolytes for that. So it has an impact then on our ability for our muscles to contract, or in some instances over-contract, leading to cramps. So we wanna have the correct balance so that we have balance and stability 
so that we can motor plan. And if you think about what is motor planning, well, that is how we are going to have good form on the run, on the bike, and even our swimming form. So if we can't pull all that together, if we can't, if our brains cannot tell our muscles how to contract, when to contract, and how to contract properly, we, we aren't gonna have good form and that's gonna infect our performance. So I have a great example of this and we'll get into more details on it later, but I actually had an athlete, um, he'd come back from a, a family trip. Uh, he'd been, it was a long distance travel on an airplane and he, he arrived late that night and the next morning he came to group run on a Saturday morning and he's telling, you know, we're, we're running along and he's telling me like, oh yeah, you know, had a couple drinks last night and we traveled and we just got in and he shows up to group run. He's already depleted. He's already dehydrated. And I'm kind of talking about him and I tell him about how it affects our motor planning. He stumbles, not once, not twice, five times. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Literally oh my falling. God. One time he, he almost takes me down. I'm like, dude, stay on your side of the road. Stay on your side of the sidewalk. Do not be near me. But it was a fascinating example of how someone who's dehydrating and it's affecting their ability to motor plan. And then I have another example. This is very recent, in fact. One of my patients who um, is a triathlete, um, she's been working with me um, in our run development clinic on Tuesday nights. Um, that's, been, that's been an awesome experience, watching these guys transform and improve their run economy, so their form, their efficiency with running. And this is into, we're six weeks into this program, and she comes on our final you know, day, our sixth, our sixth day, and she tells me, you know, she's been traveling and she's dehydrated and she's trying real hard. She's brought all her hydration, she's brought her electrolytes. I was like, good girl. But she was already behind. She was already depleted. And what was really interesting is that, you know, I'm watching them go around this track and I'm watching her form and, oh my gosh, she's improved so much over six weeks. She looks really good. And, I'm, and I pull her aside. I say, hey, you, this, you look fantastic. You're pulling it all together. And she's like, today I am having to focus so hard on being able to keep everything that we've learned much harder than the last five run development sessions. Um, and I believe it was because she was dehydrated. Mm, it right. was affecting her run economy. So she was having to work so much harder to keep that form because she doesn't have, her body wasn't as on target. It wasn't hydrated. It wasn't abil ability to do that motor planning. So her rate of perceived exertion was much higher to try to keep that good form. So Liz, that had, that does talk about travel for a minute. Well, that's so interesting because I think you know my the people who have worked with me out there will roll their eyes right now because I'm always harping on hydration and especially when we go travel for races and that's one of the things that really I think we underestimate the impact of travel on our hydration and then we do arrive at our races and we are behind schedule already so it really is. You know, it's a, it's a highlight of if you take nothing away today, when you travel for races, make sure you are staying on top of your hydration. Yeah. So Liz, also let's, so we've talked about how it's affecting our neuromuscular system, our ability to motor plan. Um, what else does it affect? So, you know, I think we we forget that, that hydration is, a, is really a huge part of our, of being able to cool ourselves. So the evaporation of the water off the skin, sweating is the number one way that we cool ourselves. And if you're 
not cooling if your core temperature is going up. I mean, all you have to do is think about how you feel in running um, during the summer versus the winter. And, you know, we, we all feel a little bit, um, you know, that heat really affects us and we're much more likely to experience nausea, fatigue, overheating, um, you know, the, the heat affects our heart rate, our pace, GI issues. We just perform better when we are cooling and whether or not we're, we're, we're exercising in the summer versus the winter, that water is still a huge part of us being able to keep our core temperatures cool. Yes. We've got to keep the core temperature down in order to progressively overload, which is what training is about. Uh, it also affects the gut. The gut is, think about it as being like the robot or the processor that controls that baggie of fluids that we were talking about before. And we can't absorb fuel without the hydration. So that means that no matter what energy source that you've been taking in to provide energy for yourself, you won't have that. You won't have access to that unless you are hydrating properly. And when that baggie of chemicals is off, it can cause issues, like you mentioned, runner's trots, stomach cramps, and nausea. So basically, if we're not hydrating right, we suck. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, our performance deteriorates on multiple levels. It affects nearly every component. So we, we put all this work into training, and then if we don't hydrate correctly, it will all fall apart. I tell my athletes all the time, at choosing to hydrate is a competitive advantage. Exactly. So how are we going to hydrate correctly? How do we put this into practice? Before we get into that, if you want to geek out and learn about the gut, there's a great book called The Athlete's Gut. And we will include a link, you know, with the title and the author in our show notes so that you can look more into that. It's a it's a fascinating book. And even if you didn't have college biology, <laughs> there's there's a couple of pieces in there that you'll you'll want to, you know, you might find yourself skimming through a little bit, but it is fascinating to see how important, you know, it's just as important as the heart and the lungs, the yeah. gut. And um, I don't think we give it the respect that it deserves sometimes. So let's recap. Today we are discussing hydration. And as we said, it's the act of taking in water and electrolytes. And we've discussed how important it is to our performance and endurance sport. Choosing to hydrate, Liz, like you said, is a competitive advantage. So how do we do it? How do we put this into practice? Well, I feel like there's different things to take into account. Um, three things, specifically what we drink, the amount we drink, and then how we drink it. So like sipping versus gulping. Um, and you know, the first, the first thing is to figure out what to drink. And really, you want to start simple. We've got a lot of products on the shelf. Um, I'm going to list out some examples. We are not ad supported. These recommendations have really come from feedback you guys have provided us. Um, and that's how I know if a, if a product is something worth recommending to the next athlete is when you guys tell us how it's done for you. Um, so, you know, some, some easy to get products that are on the shelf are things like Noon, Scratch, Tailwind, Liquid IV. We'll list them in the show notes. Um, you know, be aware that some of these um, products have calories and carbohydrates and some don't. But the one thing that they all have is an appropriate mix of electrolytes that will help your body use the water. Um, and, the, and, you know, which one works for you is really just about practicing and training. Yes. Practice it in training and practice what you're going to use on race day. So if you're planning to use hydration that's provided at a race, 
you want to be sure that you know what will be available to you at a given race so that you can practice with that product or bring your own if that particular um, hydration source doesn't work for you. So uh, I have a, a great personal example of this. Uh, I was um, participating in the Kansas City Triathlon. Mm-hmm. And I did the Olympic distance, which for those of you who are runners and not triathlons, that's a, a one-mile swim, 20 miles on the bike, and a six-mile run. And uh, I didn't think I would need anything for that event. Mm. <laughs> well, that time period, that time period takes between three to four hours. But my perception was that, you know, oh, you know, it's just it's just a quick swim. It's just a quick buck and it's just a quick run. It didn't seem to me like it was very long. I wasn't thinking about that accumulative effect. Um, so and not only was I, you know, exercising for this long period of time, but it was also hot and humid. So on the run, I became hot <laughs> and thirsty and my body could not cool itself. Um, I needed fluids. I needed fluids many miles ago, I learned, like on the bike portion of that event. But so now, because I didn't have anything with me, I was at the mercy of what was provided on the race course. And unfortunately, that was something I had never taken in before. It tasted terrible. It did not sit well in my stomach. And of course, my body rejected that and I ended up throwing up. <laughs> I was I was actually... And it wasn't just because it tasted bad that I threw it up. I, I was past the point of being able to absorb it. Um, it I, my gut wasn't able to take it in. And I believe that there, <laughs> if you did a little search, there's some pictures of me expelling that product that my body did not absorb. But okay, so now we've picked a source of hydration that works for us. Now what do we do? When and how do we drink it? So, you know, when and how we hydrate is really just as important as what we are drinking. And so, you know, the motto that I use for that is small sips early and often. So you want to really be starting early in your training session, like within 15 minutes of starting. And you want to take in small sips frequently, like every 10 to 15 minutes throughout the duration. Um, and this, this does require a plan. You definitely need a hydration plan. Um, and you know, this, the, during your exercising, the small sips early and often are great, but hydration isn't just about the day of, um, you really need to arrive at a session already hydrated. So it's something that starts, um, the day or week before kind of depending on the demands of the event. And, you know, that's a really good reminder. Amy was the story that you were just talking about where the example of your runner who came and kept falling, um, because he showed up dehydrated and he wasn't able um, to make up those fluids during the session. So you really, you know, you want to set yourself up for success and arrive at your session already hydrated and then start early and often small sips throughout the duration. Yeah. And I, you know, I learned that from you, Liz, when I was training for triathlon and also it was the advice given to me by a sports nutritionist um, to sip, not chug, both in preparation for an event or, or um for a training day, but also during the activity. So, for example, I got into the practice of filling up, you know, Yetis are my favorites, <laughs> but filling those up with, with Noon, I, that's my my um, favorite electrolyte that works for my body. Um, and I would fill these up and I would drink these the day before. And usually, you know, it was a day before like a three-hour training run, not, not a 
a 40-minute training run. But um, so I would prepare an advance. Um, and it was it was tempting to just wait till the night before and like chug it. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't get it done today. Let's just let's just let's just make up for it and chug it all tonight. Um, but instead, I was instructed to sip it throughout the day. And the reason for this is that if you take in too much at once, your body won't use it. It will either pee it all out before you can absorb it, or it's going to slosh around in your stomach and not be useful to you. So not only did I learn how to take in the fluids properly, I had to learn how to carry this with me on a training run. And runners that are new to endurance often ask me how they should carry it with them. And it really is a personal preference thing. It depends on how long you're going to be running, you know, whether it's trail or road, uh, and whether or not you have the ability to refill whatever it is that you're carrying with you. So I've used, in, in my years of running and training for, you know, uh, long distance events, is I've used waist belts before, I've used handhelds, and backpacks. And right now, my favorite for road running is a handheld water bottle, and I especially like the kind that have a soft flask so that, you know, as you're drinking, it kind of deflates and it gets easier to hold and it gets lighter to hold rather than like this firm thing. Um, and once it's empty, you can kind of even fold it up. But if you're going for a really long time, like on the trail, um, for example, and you won't have refill opportunities at like a group or race aid station, um, in those events, I personally like to use a hydration backpack because you can carry more and I'll, I'll maybe have a handheld and a hydration backpack. And sometimes these hydration backpacks, they have the bladder in the back, but they also have a few pockets for also carrying some more water bottles. So you have lots of access and um, lots of carrying capabilities. Yeah, but you know, I mean, no matter how you carry it, you want to remember that hydration is small sips early and often. Yeah, Liz, I, I, I'm envisioning like some t-shirts made <laughs> that say that small sips early and often. Okay, so some of you may have heard of the drink to thirst strategy before. That is waiting to drink until you feel thirsty. And there is a recent study that suggests it's okay to use this strategy for an event or training that's like one to two hours in length. But it's not okay with constant intensity for as long as possible, so or, or for over two hours, or in hot, humid conditions, or higher elevations make a difference too. So there's like a, lots of caveats, right? Like, like I guess basically it's like, if it's just if it's an hour or less, it's not hot, it's not humid, it's not at altitude, and uh, you know it's you're not walking your dog, you'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just like it's like that Kansas City try example, my my personal example, and we we lo just we love to use personal examples because we need you guys to know that even oh though gosh. we are experienced personally and even coaches we we stumble and bumble all the time we I make mean, mistakes we both have coaches ourselves to keep us in line we do yeah so let's go back to that can't see try example for a sec for example i waited to drink until i was thirsty clearly that didn't work yeah it, it was too late and mm -hmm. i threw up so obviously i didn't absorb what i took in even even if it would have been my favorite source that works for my body it, it was just too late i re my body rejected it um, and again, that event was also over two hours. It was hot and humid. And, you know, I, I was trying to do my best. So for me, that was, I was working at a high intensity level. So all around the drink to thirst strategy was not okay on that day. <laughs> 
So Liz, you've explained to me that there is a difference with the drink to thirst strategy when it comes to the bike. Yeah, you know, the bike can be a bit tricky. Um, and this isn't just for, for runners. This is also with, you know, my triathletes and, and some of my super experienced triathletes. Um, because on the bike, we don't often feel thirst. So it's, you know, it's earlier in the event if you're doing a race. Um, and with the bike, there's a there's a naturally there's a natural wind that occurs because of the speed um, that you are going on the bike that we don't have on the run. And then if you add in, you know, the fact that you may be wet from the swim, so it's early, you're a little bit wet from the swim, you have a naturally cooling effect from the wind factor on the bike that we don't have on the run. Um, we really forget how much water we are using, but we are using. Um, a ton of fluids for muscle function because you are working hard on that bike and you've you've worked hard on the swim and we're also using the fluids for gut and digestion um, because you're taking in a lot of carbohydrates while you're on that bike and so we're using a lot more fluid than it feels like on the bike and if we don't replace those fluids on the bike what happens is that we arrive um, to the start of the run and we're dehydrated so I you know really what what I think about with the bike is that we are hydrating on the bike for the run in order to prevent a bonk on that run. And it's it's virtually impossible to catch up on the fluids on that run if you arrive really dehydrated for a number of reasons. So I don't recommend drinking to thirst on the bike. And in fact, I'll have a lot of my athletes set a timer for every 10 to 15 minutes to remind them to go back to our small bits early and often. And you know, you get distracted on the bike, there's lots going on, you're focused on doing your best, and it's very easy to forget to drink. And so, so a little timer on your watch can be a total lifesaver and help you have a much better run after you get off that bike. Yes, there's definitely a difference between just running and triathlon when using that drink to thirst strategy. If you'd like to read more about the study we referenced, we will have those in the show notes for you. So we've talked about what to drink and when to drink. How much should we drink? Oof. <laughs> like many of our answers. People hate this. I it know. depends. <laughs> the optimal hydration for each athlete depends on the situation. It's difficult and nearly impossible to come up with a, like a universal recommendation for that. The most important thing is to practice for yourself. So no matter what any article says or what we recommend, you must find your own recipe. Um, but we have to start somewhere. So Liz, how do you recommend we start this process? Well, you know, that's a great question because I get athletes that come to me a lot with this question and they're usually overwhelmed by the amount of information that they're trying to sort through to figure out where to start. So you kind of drown in the amount of information and really figuring it out comes down to just diving in and and starting and practicing things. But you do need a place to start. And so generally what I recommend and I say, you know, for the bike, let's start with 25 ounces of fluid. So water and electrolytes per hour. So fill up your water bottle, your choice of electrolytes, you're gonna practice taking that in over the course of an hour. And then on the run, um, I say, you know, let's try to get down about 12 ounces per hour on the run. So maybe like six to eight ounces every 30 minutes. Um, and this is whether you're just running or you're running off the bike. And then as you kind of figure out what you can tolerate, you adjust from there. Yeah, and the recipe that works for you it will change in different situations. So this is why practice is so important. So for example, in the hot, humid 
Kansas summer. I recommend my runners take in four to six ounces every 20 minutes. And that might be, you know, might be less in the winter time, but in that hot, in those hot, humid conditions, that's typically where I have runners sort of start when they ask me what they should do. Personally, one of the things that I figured out with practice was that I had to alternate that, you know, every 20 minutes was just water and then the next, after the next 20 minutes, it was an electrolyte mix because that's what worked best for my body because I found that when I took the electrolyte mix every 20 minutes, I had gut distress and that's just a personal issue. So again, just another highlight of an example of where we really need to practice and practice in different situations. Yeah, and so, you know, I feel like athletes, like really what, you know, I say hydration is is like a, is a thinking sport. It's not like you're necessarily just following a rote protocol because it can change once you've learned your baseline and you practice that and you've kind of figured out what you need um, as a baseline, then it will adjust for, for factors. And, you know, an example that I have from this past summer, and this is a drastic example, but it drives home the point. Um, so last summer, 2022, it was a, we had a we had a hot summer and I was training for an Ironman and for those of you not triathletes um, an Ironman is a distance of a 2.4 mile swim 112 miles on the bike and then a 26.2 mile run um, so it's a pretty long event and there you know I was bound to have some hard training sessions to prepare for that in some pretty extreme temperatures given the summer we were having um, and so of course that happened I had a training weekend. Where, um, and for triathlon, generally we do a long bike on Saturday and then a longer run on Sunday. So I had a bike on a Saturday where it was over 100 degrees. We climbed over 6,500 feet and I was on my bike for over six hours. So it was a legit workout. Um, and I knew that after that ride on Saturday that my run on Sunday was going to be tough. Um, and my body would be tired. I was going to be depleted. I was certainly going to be dehydrated. It was going to be hard to replenish enough. And I definitely had to plan my run strategy for Sunday or my hydration um, strategy for Sunday, knowing how tired and depleted I was going to be from what I had done previously. And so my run on Sunday was two and a half hours long. Um, and normally for a two and a half hour um, run, I would drink eight to 12 ounces every 30 minutes. So that would, you know, I, I, for over a two and a half hour run, I'd end up taking about 40 to 50 ounces of fluid. So that's kind of was my, I knew that was my baseline going mm -hmm. in. Um, and for that particular run, I ended up taking in close to a hundred ounces and I would have taken in more if I'd had access. Um, and so, you know, I took in almost double the amount of fluids and again, I could have taken in more, um, because of the conditions and knowing what I had done previously. And so again, that's a really drastic example, right? But you're, you're having to make micro adjustments based on the factors that are influencing what your, what your body needs. And it's just, you learned your baseline and then you can adjust for those. It's going to make you a lot more successful. Yeah. So you've just given us a perfect example of the three common factors that affect hydration. So the heat and humidity, uh, and the intensity also impacts our needs for hydration. So if you're racing, you're doing speed worker speed work, um, it's a harder effort, or you rode for six hours. Yeah, you know, I mean, distance and endurance, or the distance and duration really affect, and the longer you go, your needs go up exponentially. Um, and, you know, Amy, you mentioned the heat, and I'll take that a step farther because 
heat in the shade versus heat in the sun really affects our needs as well. I mean, that sun is like kryptonite and it really increases our demands um, for hydration. And if you have a route that is sunny versus shady, you really need to plan for that um, ahead of time. And of course, altitude affects hydration and all of these things affect us differently. I mean, I know for me that altitude is a big factor. I don't do well in altitude. And Amy, I know you've talked about how the sun is really tough for you. So again, we learn our baseline and you get to know yourself and then you can adjust for what your body needs. Yeah, it, you know, and if you're interested in understanding more about the science behind why these environmental factors impact hydration, I've written a blog about that, and we'll provide that for you in the show notes. So even if you find your perfect recipe for different situations and you practice it, curveballs can and do happen. So it's important to know the warning signs that that biochemical baggie or chemical Ziploc baggie is off. So what are those what are those warning signs? Well, sloshing in your stomach when you're mm-hmm. running is a sign that perhaps maybe you've taken in too much, your your gut's not absorbing it. Muscles cramping or stomach cramping mm-hmm. is another example that the electrolytes may be off. Mhm. You know, I get complaints about like people's <clears throat> hands are puffy. Um, they maybe feel like your stomach feels really full and bloated, um, or maybe you're peeing all the time. Like if you're real over, if something's off of the chemical baggie and you're peeing every five or ten minutes, that's a sign that your body isn't absorbing what you're taking in. Yeah, and if you're struggling to find the right recipe that works for you, and you're one of those people that needs a little bit more little details, or you you want you want to have a formula. There is a method called the sweat test replacement method. So that's the sweat test replacement method for determining the amount of hydration that you need. But you have to be careful with some of these like formulas and tests because it can be unrealistic and it can lead to gut stress because the calculations might lead you to take in quantities that your gut hasn't yet learned to handle. Yes. So again, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, form, like, hey, where do I start? Maybe you do that formula first and then you test it and you practice it and you see how it goes. We'll have a link in the show notes so you can learn more about that sweat test uh, replacement method. Yeah. And you know, for many people, it's really a pretty simple. It's just a matter of practicing different products and trying how you're going to do it. And, you know, making sure you feel okay. I mean, you'll know you're not okay if you're having like some of the symptoms that we talked about, a lot of gut distress, you're poofy, you're not feeling good. Um, so it's really, you know, it's, it's just a matter of trying and it's pretty simple. But for some people it isn't simple and those people, um, we really recommend you see a sports nutritionist. Right. So we can't talk about hydration without also mentioning the dangers of hyponatremia. Hyponatremia is a medical emergency, okay? It's the result of taking in too much water and not enough electrolytes. So the chemical baggie in this case is dangerously out of whack. It can cause seizures and lead to coma. So it's good to be aware of the signs and symptoms of this condition, and we will post those in the show notes as well. So the goal of today's podcast was to highlight how important it is to hydrate and how hydration includes not just the taking in of water, but also electrolytes, how you need to find what works for you, and to start simple. And Liz, can you sum it up for us? You know, it really just comes down to practice, practice, practice. Yes. And 
you all, your experiences can help others. So we would love for you to leave some comments in our comment section about your struggles or even successes with hydration. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, we, we are, are in this together. together. Until next time.